Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. We're back from our holidays. I thought we might start this series with some news from Margot. Oh, for goodness sake, I've missed my Margot updates. Go yes. On. Well, I think you're going to like this one because it, it, it wasn't really very good for Margot. <laughs> so this morning, good. there was a double whammy. I was doing my bar exercises in, <laughs> in my tutu. Yeah. And I managed to do, I was doing a sort of curtsy lunge thing and I managed to kick her kick her she was right up behind me she got a little wallop from my dainty foot so that was episode number one and then episode number two because she follows me around everywhere I went into the shower turned on the shower and she was in there for god's sake she got a drenching so it's not been a good morning for Margot she's just following you around she's gonna murder you in your sleep you know that don't you she's gonna suffocate you you're you're gonna be furballed to death at some point she's building up to it Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. I'm Trish Halpin, and we're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be tackling everything from mind and body wellness to HRT and your sex drive. Lorraine and I are here to help you have a stylish second act and answer all your midlife questions on fashion, beauty, careers, relationships, family, and as always, the challenges and joys of parenting teens. Trish, I was going to get you to wrap us into the first episode of this season seven but I thought better of it because I was a bit worried I'd got the meaning of the lyrics of my chosen rap confused and then I was worried I would get cancelled because the lyrics might not be yeah yeah well that's a shame isn't it because I know you like me to keep my vocal cords warm and limber I'm sure the listeners have probably missed my little singing little moments when I break into song over the summer what were you going to get me to rap then that's going to get us cancelled M&M's Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's that one? Yeah. But the lyrics do go a bit dark and dodgy. There is some swearing, and that would upset your judgy alter ego, Marion. Oh, Marion wouldn't like that, no. There's a little bit of sexism, which would Mm. upset my sexually repressed feminist alter ego, Millie, militant. Um, So I thought it was best not to do that. But we are back. Here we are. And I, Trish, of course, I spent the summer in Tulum on Tom Cruise's yacht with Angelina Jolie and Cher. And I suppose you've been travelling with uh, Barry Manilow on this (laughs) comeback tour, haven't you? (laughs) I I have. I've been uh, practising, obviously, backing singing. Backing singing. One of his backing his. And actually, Neil and I have both been getting into our outfits with the frilly sleeves. Can you imagine? That's probably enough of that. not to think of needing a and sleeved yeah. outfit in your bedroom. Enough. I think I've seen it, actually. <laughs> I thought you might have been on J-Lo's honeymoon because I know she always invites you everywhere, doesn't she? 
She came to Europe, didn't they, Benefice? Yes, they yes. came to did, Europe. Did you not get the invite to the Ritz in Paris? I thought you Busy, Trish. I was busy. Mm. I was yeah. busy. Well, there you go. But listen, enough of all this because uh, we'll tra- talk of travel because we are a global podcast, aren't yeah. we? Reaching the parts, other parts yes. that we dream of. So I thought we'd do a little geography little trip oh my God. around the world because it's always, it always makes me laugh yes <laughs> nothing else because we have members of the facebook group listeners from all over the place so if i said to you takapuna what would you say i would be transported back to your bedroom <laughs> with neil in his fluffy outfit takapuna and i'd be right. saying don't takapuna probably to neil yes it does sound like a dance Barry where is it it's in new zealand i think it's a suburb of auckland no sounds glamorous yeah okay I've got a few, all right a few more for you pimpana <laughs> oh god <laughs> is that a fruit is that a fruit you've you've invented for mm, me no it's a city on the gold coast in australia exciting exciting, exciting right? yeah ready for another one go on Ireland. <laughs> no. <laughs> Tanzania. Oh. Or Tanzania, whichever oh, way you want to say it. Oh, I should you know have stayed at school learning geography, shouldn't I? Do you know what that means, what Bagamoyo means, apparently, in Swahili? I did Google this, so it could be wrong. No, I don't. How would I possibly I don't know, know that? Well, it could be another Barry Manilow song. It's it's Lay Down Your Heart. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah. That's quite nice, isn't it? Okay. Uh, should okay. you All one right. more? Go on. Clonobalug. Oh, that sounds like a medical ailment that I might need some kind of enema for. So I yeah. don't... What is that? Where, is that Ireland? It is. Uh, well done. Yes. County Offaly. Clonabalogue. I quite like that. Well, it's and exciting. The ancestral roots. It's very yeah, good, isn't well. it? It's very good. Well, there we are. So um, all over, all over the globe we are. Reaching the parts. Reaching mm. the parts are the podcasts don't reach. So once again, we can confirm that my midlife memory is missing in action still, which according to our lovely listeners on our private Facebook group, is quite common isn't it they've been Mm. sharing their brain fog bloopers um big shout out sharon on our facebook group who put her first ever post up about the day she got there's some banging in the background i'm apologizing to the listeners now so i went round to the neighbors to talk to the builders um they'll stop the drilling but the banging apparently banging has to keep going they were very sympathetic about the midlife podcast and they said women do need to know these facts but could they continue banging but they'll stop drilling (laughs) anyway Sharon on the Facebook group she wrote this about her blooper yesterday morning I couldn't get into the office because I didn't have my pass I frantically rummaged through my bag but I just couldn't find it so I assumed I had left it at home when my intern came out to tap me in I thanked her for rescuing me and wondered aloud where I could have left my key card she kept very very quiet which was unusual for her and was staring at my necklace (laughs) I looked down because I was wearing my office keycard oh, lanyard. We just knew that's where that one was going, didn't yep. we? But it's it's the simple ones that that get us. The simple bloopers they are ex- hysterical, and we can all identify them because it happens to all of us in midlife as the hormones uh, deplete and our brains uh, don't like it very much. Um, we do laugh at it, but there is a serious side too because we have both talked about how this forgetfulness nibbles away at your confidence. Um, we had a very moving post on the Facebook group as well which you are all welcome to join by the way and this one made me 
it brought a little tear to my eye. One of our members wrote, I've just had a cry in a car park after listening to your podcast for the first time and realised, A, I'm not in the early stage of dementia. B, I'm not the only person to have forgotten which side of the road to drive on. That was a scary time. And C, I'm not alone. And D, I'm in need of help and support. Wish I'd known about you many months ago. That's very good to hear, isn't it? I've, I've written actually in the papers about how I forgot which side yeah. of the road to drive on in the middle of my perimenopause in my mid-40s. It is absolutely terrifying. Mm. Thankfully, HRT sorted that, hormone replacement therapy sorted that out for me. But yeah, I think it's wonderful that women can share all of this. I had another little moment of joy too, mm-hmm. Trish, when I read a comment from Jo on the Facebook group. Um, she said she was listening to our podcast right from the beginning. Oh, all the way back, all the way back. Poor woman. Um, it's over 110 episodes or something, mm, isn't it? Yeah. And she, she wrote, you're both wonderful company. I don't have many girly friends, which is fine by me, but you fill that friendship void for me with chat, laughter and good advice. Thank you for all you do. Oh, very Aww. touching and uplifting. Um, it reminds me of the days when we used to get letters Imagine that, written letters from old school, glossy magazines that we were editing. And I think that just making a difference to another woman's life, no matter how small, it's just a really fulfilling thing, isn't it? It's a really sort of good feeling. And we're going to continue on that mission here with this series of postcards from midlife. And today's episode, in fact, because we're bringing you a fascinating guest whose life has turned upside down in her early 30s and beyond when she found out she had breast cancer. Danny Bennington is a yoga teacher, wellness expert, and founder of the website Healthy Whole Me, and the host of the podcast Menopause After Cancer, which we have featured on the Facebook. Yes. In fact, this is so much amazing advice. She'll be chatting to us about the tools she used to transform her life post cancer, and giving us plenty of advice on how to boost our energy and stay healthy as we head into this new kind of time of the year we're also going to be doing some intention setting for autumn as it's back to school time uh, post holidays reset all of that so it's a good time of year to have a think about how we want next it is new term as it were i'm looking forward to the interview because we often get asked by women what we can do in menopause and perimenopause in terms of lifestyle changes don't we if we if there isn't hrt as a possibility Mm. and danny's extremely good on that i'm also keen to find out why she's got such amazing hair trish very glossy I think we know the answer to that. You'll find out in the interview. Uh, Before we get to that, though, we're going to have our first jibber-jabber of the season with a chat about the things we are absolutely not doing anymore now we have hit midlife, the emotional stuff we have liberated ourselves from. Let's do it, Trish. There comes a point in life when enough is enough, when you've been through some things, experienced some stuff and finally accrued valuable wisdom on how to make day-to-day life easier and less stressful. Trish and I have reached that point, haven't we, Trish? Yes. We are in our mid-50s and we thought we would share some ways in which we've changed our mindsets to make life more harmonious for everyone. Yes, we've been thinking about this over the summer, haven't we, while we've had a a few weeks off. And we're going to share some um, kind of personal thinking, which, as always, is based on the interviews we've done with midlife experts over the years here on Postcards from Midlife and in our previous lives as journalists and editors of women's magazines and our own, obviously, thoughts and experiences, too. So, Lorraine, what's on the it's got to stop list for you, apart from the builders banging next door? Well, (laughs) I think on my list, I feel it's quite a common thing, Mm. is this um, what I call bending around people all the time. This need to be 
it's not a need to be likable, but it's a need for it to be easy and feeling like I have to apologize before I ask yeah, for something yeah. I really want to happen or to kind of restrain myself or mute myself slightly and sort of lean into what everyone else is doing and how everyone else does it. I've decided I'm just not going to do that because it's um, it's a bit exhausting. Mm. And I just feel like at this stage of life, I'm 54, I can just be me now as long as I'm not unpleasant or upsetting yeah, or, yeah. you know, horrible to anyone. Margot excluded. (laughs) Um, But I just feel that when you have a retrospective mindset at this stage, you look back and think of all the times you've done, you've bent around situations, bent around people. Done things you don't want to do. Yeah. Said yes to things you don't want to say yes to. Exactly. So that's that's my intention, my September resolution. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to say... I just don't think I want to do that or I just don't think you should do that or I'm not keen on the way you're doing that or I'm not going to do it that way and just you know glide forward slightly without um bending in or leaning yes. in. And it doesn't mean that you're suddenly becoming a mean person. You can still be generous and kind and, yeah. you know, and, and giving to other people, but it's about being a bit more giving to yourself. And also I did spend quite a lot of my time trying to be likeable because everybody said likeable was the thing to be. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and actually I'm not unlikable, but I just, I'm Ooh. quite pleased with my forthright way of being. I quite like yes. it. So yes. and I'm happy with it and... If you're not comfortable with it, maybe that's not really my problem anymore. Yes. Okay. Well, I like that one. That's a good what, one. What, what are you going yeah. to stop I doing? Am, I've been sort of, well, I feel like these things I'm going to talk about, I've been working on for a while, but I, it's almost like in my mid fifties, I'm really comfortable with it. and really at peace with it. And yeah. you know, it's, it's almost like you start thinking about it in your late forties and it's uncomfortable and it's, uh, but then when you get to your mid fifties and you're sorted, maybe with your menopause and your HRT and you can think clearly and life's a bit less Stressful, then you can really put these things into action. So mine is about aiming for perfection and not doing it and instead being happy with good enough. Good enough is good enough. And I think that there's sort of all sorts of different ways that manifests. It's like, you know, I don't care anymore that my house is wrecked <laughs> between the kids the dog and Margot with very sharp claws who has literally destroyed every piece of furniture. Uh, I just sort of don't care, care anymore. It's almost like what you see is like, stop seeing that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Whereas it used to matter to me that everything looked amazing just in case somebody walked in the door and, you know, so that I think is going for me. And I think it ties into my overthinking, which you're very good at yeah on because I overthink things I want things to be perfect I think too much about every possible outcome and actually I think I should I just should just be content with the fact that I know I always put enough effort in I you know give enough thought to things and that's okay that's- it's enough yeah. I think Gen X has a real endurance mindset and we're always told is it good enough have you done it well enough mm. should you go back and do it again and mm. make it better and actually Probably millennials don't have that mindset. No, no, good enough not, is actually. good yeah, enough. That is you know, it, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Next for you, number two. Number two. Well, you're like this, Trish. I'm. I'm going to be less manic. <laughs> Now, I have talked about this before, but I'm going to be more about contentment. Tell me how that's going to work. Yeah. I'm always telling you you're doing too much. Well, I think I'm going to reframe the mindset more about contentment than achievement, because it's okay. such a driving force yeah. for me coming from 
I mean, I'm, you know, coming from nothing, leaving school at 16, I've yeah. got to achieve, achieve, achieve. But when you want to achieve, you become quite busy and you say yes mm. to a lot and you do a lot and you, you have to prove yourself all the time. It's not a good thing. I think there is a huge addiction to being busy. So I have decided not to be busy and to say no to things and slow right down. But it's really to step away from the addiction, the manic mm. of my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at my diary. You're going to be my, you're going to stage interventions. Yes, on this. all the time. And then I'm going to keep taking things out instead yes. of putting things in. And when I get that urge, when I think, oh, I've got like a spare bit, I'll go and see so-and-so or I'll do such and such mm-hmm. or I'll do this on Instagram or I'll do that. I'm going to think, no, I'm not going to do anything. So I'm yeah. just going to slow down a bit. And I think that's kind of, you know, neurologically probably quite yes. good. It's good for your health I and it's probably need, good for everyone around me as well. You need to, I think, again, when you get to your mid-50s, you need to understand how to rest. And I don't think you're, that's something. No, well, I just, not yes, I did. I, there was that no. period at the beginning of the summer mm. when I managed to do a 6 case swim, go to France, finish the book. And get COVID and all get in COVID. the space of eight days. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're going, oh, but I've got to organise the end of term, this and the that and the that. I was yes. like, I think they can manage without you. Just go to bed. <laughs> you know, you, you've done enough. They can all yeah. manage without you. So I think... Um, I think lots of women do this, don't they? They do their yeah. job, they come home, they do that family, and then they do yeah. their partner. And they do. And I think maybe we can drop the ball. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've decided that I'm going to drop the ball on on the parenting front in the sense of I'm oh going to goodness. stop berating myself. That is brave, Trish. And We're thinking talking about outlet. This is a podcast. People are listening, Trish. I know. I know. I will be parenting. Don't worry. But now that mine are 18, I just sort of feel that I spend not a lot of time, but it comes into my mind that, oh, I've been a bad parent or I haven't done it properly. And there was actually a really moving post on the Facebook group about this, wasn't there, for the yeah. woman who's felt that she'd really let her 14-year-old son down and and I was just like god it really resonated with me but it also made me feel now in my mid-50s with the kids the age they are I really do think I've done my best and whatever they are or aren't going to do or who they are or aren't going to be I've given them love security and opportunities and choices in life and kind of that's what you need to do isn't it and now I think so so I feel like I'm at the point where I can stop feeling like I have to fix everything for them all the time I mean we always feel what they feel you know the heartache when they have heartache when they have disease we're going to feel that but it's the in as our friend Philippa Perry always says it's sitting alongside them in those feelings not trying to fix it for them so she says feel with not deal with that's yeah a few years but I think I'm there with that now which I'm quite pleased about and then just just before they leave home yes shutting them out the door and what about you your final little well I think the other thing I'm going to do which has been a bit of a kind of revelation to me Trish is um I don't want any things anymore I don't want any more stuff stuff I am having you know that time before when you're pregnant and just before you give birth you go a bit mad and you just clear everything out and you have the nesting huge spring something I feel that that happens I think you go through your 40s through the perimenopause you're in this weird void of Mm. transformation and transition and then you come out the other side in your mid-50s and you think hold on a minute what was that all about and you've learned all this stuff and you're more in the moment and then you think right it's all got to go it's all Mm got to go I don't need the remnants of before and I don't need all the bits and bobs and I don't need to buy any more things they won't make me happier they won't fill the moments I just need to sit in the moments so um 
I mean, it's a privileged thing to say, but I'm going to no, get rid of I think it's, and it's bits and bobs. because it's, um, you know, I was talking to Donna Lancaster on a previous episode and her book about emotional healing. And what she was saying, it's, you know, you get to this point in life where, you know, you're, the first part of your life is very much the ego-led life, where it's the outside things that matter. And then you get to this kind of life stage and you start looking towards a spirit-led life where it's more about the inside and all the outside extraneous stuff doesn't matter it's it's more important about what's going in on inside mm. of you and I think you you've reached that point haven't you? I have it's there really is a good. book called um the happiness curve where there's mm. a lot of um research into this and the neurology of getting older and when I say older I mean kind of 60 mm-hmm. up and this is this spirit-led life is really much more important um and actually makes you happier I think yeah. and yeah, calmer exactly. so I also heard on the old grapevine Trish yeah. that uh, the old Botox was out <laughs> yes. For you, tell me what's your final? What are you well, not my doing? Final one. I mean, I don't want people to think I've had gazillions of Botox because I really haven't. But well, I you do look like J Lo. So, <laughs> did you see those adverts for her bottom, her bottom balm butter stuff? Do you want me to come around and rub it in? I want to put that on anyone. I tell you, but anyway, <laughs> again, can I put that happens, on Instagram? <laughs> something happens where you just think, do you know what? It's that thing of this is what fifty-five looks like, and yeah. I'm okay with that. And mm. yes. Well, I have had Botox in the past. Well, you both had it for about 18 months. But I just think that I think I'm I think it's okay. Self-care, skincare, all of that's still very important. But I don't need to do anything else to I'm just gonna kind of go with it and see see where it all goes and feel happy with that. I had to make a little video the other day. It's kind of like a birthday message video. And Normally, I would look at it and go, oh, look at those lines, look at those thin lips, where have her lips gone? And actually, I just managed to stop myself. That was my impulse reaction. Mm. I just stopped myself and listened to what I've said. And I thought, great, you know, and I thought, you look fine. You look good. It's fine. So I feel kind of a contentment and then no more fake tan because I've just... Oh, no, I don't know if I'm ready for you without fake tan. (laughs) Oh, my God. You might think from that that I just spend my life looking orange with fake no it brings you to the barely normal color for the rest of us quite frankly the celtic blue the celtic blue. i just don't care anymore i don't mind the celtic blue it's just it is what it is so um yeah i think i'm quite happy with that that's that's me and that's you so i hope this has been a little bit helpful helpful and inspiring for some of our young listeners coming into this phase to say it's really great, the liberation, right? Well, I think that's the thing, is it? There's some, some messages in it. You're not alone. We're all going yeah. through it. And when you come out the other side, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I think I actually honestly feel fitter, stronger and healthier and less stressed in my 50s than I did in my 40s. So <laughs> I hope that gives everybody hope. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you.
Our first guest of this new series is here to set us on the path to health and well-being as we head into autumn. Danny Binnington is a patient's advocate for women in menopause after cancer, a yoga teacher, wellness expert and founder of the website Healthy Whole Me, and most recently host of the podcast Menopause After Cancer. Danny, aged 43, has been on a nine-year-long life-changing journey since a breast cancer diagnosis at just 33. Following a lumpectomy, chemotherapy and radiotherapy, she then tested positive for the mutated BRCA1 gene, the so-called Angelina Jolie gene, which gives an increased risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Having lost two of her aunts, her grandmother and great-grandmother to ovarian cancer, she elected to have a double mastectomy and oophorectomy, which plunged her straight into menopause by the time she was 40. During this time, she's focused on reinventing her life and career by filling what she describes as her very own well-being toolbox to help her recover and rebuild her house emotionally and physically. And now her focus is showing what is in that toolbox to give all women the information and help they need to create a healthy lifestyle that works for them. Austrian-born Danny is mother to three daughters, 14-year-old Rosa and 12-year-old twins Eliza and Layla. And she's married to Tim, founder of Manta Hair and director of the Headmaster's Salons, and they live in Surrey. She says, with wonky boobs, 11 scars and no ovaries, I am enough just the way I am. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Danny. Hello, and thank you for having me. Now, I'm looking at you here, and you are the picture of health and vitality, and no one would ever guess just how much you have been through physically, emotionally during the past nine years. Was there a particular moment in this journey that set you on the path to pursuing a holistic lifestyle? I don't think there was a particular moment, but what I remember so vividly is going through chemotherapy for my breast cancer diagnosis feeling really desperate and feeling really like all control has been taken away from me. And it felt as if we were just on a treadmill and life and appointments was happening to us. And I didn't feel I had a say. It was all just happening to us. And so my early changes of tinkering with diet, of maybe looking at reducing my stress levels were definitely driven out of fear, desperation, panic. And that is a good driver, as we know, um, because it felt so real. And I thought I need to do something else on top of all the doctors. And they did a great job. But I felt I need to do something else. And I saw, I was just doing whatever I thought was right. No mm-hmm. idea. And I think many of the things I did were too drastic. We'll talk about that. So I think fear was really my main driver initially. When you started, uh, when you were first diagnosed, you were a jewellery designer, weren't you? You were working in London and your diagnosis kind of changed the course of your life as a, as a woman, but also your professional life, didn't it? Is that a mixed blessing? I mean, how do you feel about that? That must feel like an amazing thing as well as a kind of what you went through was such a traumatic thing. You know, now looking back, and it's interesting you bring that up, Lorraine, is one of my children recently one of them is a teenager now. And so we have more conversations about this. And she recently said, if you could go back, surely you would want it the same way because you're in a good place, aren't you, mummy? You talk to all these amazing people. You hosted a podcast and she can see I'm loving life and I really embrace it all. And I'm ever so grateful for everything we have. And I looked at her and I said, not in a million years would I choose for it to go that way. I'd still undo it if I can. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have the time to think because we were just talking and it was just came slipped out of me. And so 
I guess reflecting on that, you're right. My whole life has changed and amazing things have happened. And my husband's life and my children's life, my family, everything has changed from my career to how I see life to how I wake up in the morning. And it was really hard. And I love where I am today. My answer really sums up (laughs) how ambivalent this always can be. And so emotions can sometimes be so full of gratitude and so full of fear at the same time. And we can feel so wonderful and so hurt at the same time. And I think this sums up my own experience, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where I was then and where I am today. Still, it's a bag of mixed emotions. You launched Healthy Whole Me in a bid to feel whole again, which is what what you how you describe it, which I thought was a lovely, lovely expression. We started talking about the kind of changes you were making to your diet and lifestyle exercise. When did you start noticing a change and the benefits to yourself in terms of your health and your stress levels? Yeah, so my first book that I was given on diet was by my chemo buddy, Katerina, who's no longer with us, but we used to have the same chemo cycle on a Wednesday and we'd always go to hospital together. And Katerina gave me this book and it was about diet and cancer. And till then, it had never occurred to me to maybe look into anything like that. I was just turning up for my appointments and I was receiving chemotherapy. And the book talked very much about if you have a mouth ulcer, you could eat like so. If you're constipated, you could do this. If you are the opposite, you've got diarrhea, you could do this with your diet. And I suddenly thought, wow, okay, food can influence and help me with the many side effects of chemotherapy. Then what else can food do? In my insomnia-driven three o'clock morning wake-ups, I was on Dr. Google on the internet, like I'm sure so many other people. And I was reading Diets to Cure Cancer and I was going down this terrible, terrible rabbit hole of Mm -hmm. weird diets and Mexican clinics and all the things that my wise Danny at 10 o'clock in the morning would say, are you mad? What what are you doing? But at three o'clock in the morning, it seemed like a good idea to become more extreme. And the more I looked at those things, the more I thought, wow, I can control the way I eat. And we know There are dangers in that. But in the early days, I then changed my diet from the 1st of January 2014. I reduced or removed major food groups. What what sort of things Um, did you take out? Oh, gosh, Lorraine. Sugar, refined sugar. Of course. Yes, of course, evil. (laughs) Sugar and carbohydrates and all dairy and all gluten and anything to do with bread, all the yummy things I was raised on in Austria, Mm. Um, any sugary drinks, uh, um, coffee, alcohol, you name it. And so I didn't, I don't think going back to your question, Trish, that I felt much better initially, but what Mm. I felt was control. Yeah. The control cancer took from me. I replaced with being very strict with what I ate. Mm. And I'm not sure that was right. And actually a, beautiful nutritionist then said to me many years later she said Danny with all the stress you were putting your body under you could have had a McDonald's three times a week (laughs) yeah it's like a double punishment as well isn't it totally but a few things happened because of it and they worked in my favor a I went on a nutrition and practice course that my husband sent me on at at Leith's cookery school and I think he thought by then gosh whatever she's doing will support her and maybe we can, yeah. someone can talk some balance into her. And that was brilliant because it helped me look at diet in the, in the bigger picture. But I did learn to cook mm-hmm. and I learned to cook with vegetables because I didn't have, I didn't allow myself any of these other things I removed. So it did teach me how to cook. And before I was diagnosed, my husband, Tim, did all the cooking for us. I'd never cooked a Sunday roast. And suddenly I was dabbling in all these 
vegetables and dressings and beautiful things and so that was a real good benefit so what for did me. you bring back then did you you I mean that you are you do eat bread and things like that don't you it's just about the balance isn't it and the kind of making sure you're getting the plants really as well isn't it yeah and before that I could have had beans and toast for five days in a row. I really didn't pay much attention. I loved a good dinner out, but I really didn't pay much attention. I never struggled with weight. So I didn't look at diet as anything that fueled me, Mm -hmm. nourished me, and that really changed. And so initially what I really felt is hope. By changing the way I ate, I became actively part of my recovery process, and that gave me heaps and heaps of hope, big portions of hope. Mm -hmm with every meal I ate. Mm. And that was the most important thing I could have created for myself. Mm. And you also looked at um, CBD, didn't you? This is something that comes up quite a bit, actually, in our private Facebook group, something Trish and I are going to explore a bit more, I think, complementary therapies and CBD. What did you find out about the therapies and CBD that helped you? So although I was eating really well and I had started yoga already, my mother-in-law ushered me to my first yoga class at that point. And I was going to regular yoga and I felt that was amazing for my anxiety by feeling not so scared. My fear of recurrence was so big in the early years. But yoga, that hour just gave me a little bit of a relief. But my mental health was still really, really, really low. And so although I think my diet was the best then in terms of it was really beautifully cooked all the time and paid so much attention to it. And I did yoga. My mental health was shockingly low. And I felt I had to plow on. The world around me congratulated me on having finished treatment, having finished therapy. And they were saying, wow, you know, you have done so well and your life is now ahead of you. And inside I was just crumbling and so worried I wouldn't see the children yeah. start school. And so looking at CBD, cognitive behavior therapy, acupuncture, speaking therapy, counseling, all these other alternative complementary therapies, it was just trying to do whatever I could to bring a little bit of well-being into my life. And so I think I dabbled with it all and they all had an important part at different stages of my healing and recovery. Mm-hmm. and they still have to an extent so, mm-hmm. so in a way have. what you're saying because i i'm guessing that what you were looking for was the one thing that would would completely get rid of all your fears and actually it's very bespoke and personal to everyone going through this isn't it it's just what helps you at the time isn't it is that what you're saying i think the reality is that i thought once i had completed my cancer treatment my life would go back to normal mm-hmm. and i think this is what many people who are in a cancer survivorship state are will also say and I just thought once we've done it I can go back to being the old Danny and just go back to my ways and look ahead into the future but I partly changed myself because I ate differently and I didn't go out partying anymore I wasn't dancing on tables at three o'clock in the morning throwing back another vodka shot (laughs) so that part of the Danny I had left behind on purpose because I changed the way I wanted to live. That's life altering alone. You know, people Mm -hmm. starting or stopping alcohol. We know that changes our our social relationships and how we navigate social life. And then cancer changed me. And then I think in the early years, I just tried to do and use all of these mechanisms and methods and treatments and whatever it is that I could try to get the old Danny back until A beautiful therapist once said to me whether that would be a little bit of an unrealistic 
idea mm -hmm. and how I could create my new Danny, a new version, and whether that would be more positive and more more doable than trying to get the old Danny mm -hmm. back, who perhaps wasn't ever going to come back in the same way anyway. And then, of course, you then had to, you've had the cancer treatment, um, the decision then after discovering you had the BRCA1 gene to have mastectomy and oophorectomy. So with the removal of your ovaries, you were plunged then straight into menopause. Were you prepared for that? Did the doctors prepare you for that? The doctors didn't need to prepare me for that as such. At that point, I was really, I learned how to advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. Time so from my initial diagnosis until I had to start really thinking about removing my ovaries around the age of 40 was suggested to me personally by my doctors was four or five years. And that time was really quite amazing for me to really become an advocate for myself and taking my health care and my future health into my own control a little bit more. But around the time that I was just after I finished my cancer treatment one of my aunts was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, late stage ovarian cancer. And so that really was a big setback for me. Um, she knew because we lost her sister already to mm -hmm. ovarian cancer and she knew she was at high risk. She's um, Austrian, she was Austrian, but she was so scared of being plunged into medical menopause and her doctors never told her that perhaps HRT would be an option for her. You know, By then she hadn't had cancer that she never removed her ovaries, knowing she's at risk. She hasn't had the test, but she knew from her family history she was at risk. Her map of the world, her belief system did not allow her, and the education she had did not allow her to remove her ovaries as a prophylactic surgery. So we lost her to ovarian cancer mm. uh, three or four years later. And so that really, really shaped me and my decision-making process. Mm -hmm. But in terms Which, of women who have uh, who are plunged into a menopause, obviously you say you had time to think about it, build up to it. But if uh, for any listeners who are kind of plunged into a surgical menopause or medical menopause, how do they advocate for themselves? How do they get the right knowledge, the right treatment, ask the doctors the right questions? What would you advise? I think it needs to be a two-pronged approach and the one approach really needs to come. There needs to be more education from healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. I speak with women every single week who are about to have a, a surgically onset menopause and no one speaks to them about mm -hmm. what might happen afterwards. And 88% of the women I work with on the Trekstock uh, Navigating Menopause Charity Program, for example, say exactly the same. They've had little to no support at all. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if we can speak up about our stories just by me here, mm -hmm. we can maybe then help women ask the questions. And so if maybe your healthcare professional doesn't speak about it, but we remember to just ask a few more questions and become a little bit more of a difficult patient, yeah. then we can bring the two approaches together a little bit more. And you're on HRT, aren't you? Do you want to explain how, how that works? Because you say the words out loud, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and the words breast cancer or ovarian cancer, and everybody is confused and worried. And how, how does that work? And how do you reassure women that could be a possibility for them? And what other medicines could they possibly have? So when... I decided to let go of my ovaries. For me, it was a no-brainer because of my family. Mm -hmm. I had gone through so much trauma and loss. The same with my double mastectomy. I really thought I can let go of my breasts if it reduces the chances of me having more cancers. I mean, I already had the one cancer at 33. So letting go of those body parts was not 
the hardest decision I would say mm. I had to make. What was much harder is I was walking down the road after one appointment and this doctor said, oh, well, but your risks of cardiovascular disease and bone disease and all these other things that you could have, those long-term health effects, if you go into early menopause, you know, they might be as bad as you getting ovarian cancer. And I was so flawed because it didn't mm. give me any options. It was awful. And so I had quite a lot of appointments. I asked my GP to keep referring me to specialists. And very early on, my oncologist said, when we talked about me letting go of my ovaries, she said, because of the type of cancer you have had, because of the fact that I've already had a double mastectomy, because I let go of my ovaries five years after my initial diagnosis, so that time has also passed, that they were all happy to discuss HRT with me. Mm -hmm. And I think the key factor here is that my type of cancer, how long ago I was diagnosed, but uh, when was my diagnosis, the fact that I had a double mastectomy, it's not just a one size fits all approach. Mm -hmm. And because I was able to have those conversations with healthcare professionals, because by then I kept going back to my GP and saying, I've not, still not got all the answers. I need you to refer me to someone else. These amazing healthcare professionals, menopause specialists helped me to come to that decision. And so I think the first thing when we are plunged into menopause after cancer it is to ask the question, what do you think about HRT for my particular case? Let's talk about it. If it's a no, we need to know our options. As you know, I speak to the amazing Dr. Anis Mukherjee, and she could go on and on and on about yeah. all the other non-hormonal, she's amazing, non-hormonal medical options that we can draw on when HRT is not an option. And they're great to help with symptom management now. And also lifestyle changes that can help with our overall health. Because bone worry is going to be a worry for many people after chemo in early menopause. And there's so much we can do, but we need someone to talk us through those options. Mm. Well, I would definitely recommend anybody listening to this and, and having those questions to listen to your episode with Dr. Anise Mukherjee, because she does go through this. So, so many medicines that can help with hot flushes, that can help with bladder problems and content, all sorts of things like that. So that is definitely um, one to go through. But um, we love what you said about your body in a magazine article that you wrote about being enough the way you are. You've described what, you know, what the parts of the, your body that you've had to let go. But were there times when you felt your body was letting you down and, and perhaps you felt less than feminine? I think my body let me down and I, I can't shift that feeling still mm -hmm. when I was diagnosed with cancer. And there was definitely a feeling of why did I get cancer now? I know I had the gene, but why then? It wasn't so much why me. I never had that worry about why me. It was very much why then. I was really tired then. My body was, our children never slept, but three children under the age of three were exhausted. I had nothing left to give when I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I really always knew I had to look after my whole self and remove myself from those toxic, tired, overexhausted, overstressful life phases, prolonged life phases. And I still, I think I still need to work on that. It's a continuous project. Mm. And then afterwards, I had to work really hard to regain trust into my own body again. And I still do. You know, there are times where I wake up and I think, oh, I hope everything I do is okay. And I touch my new <laughs> weird um, implant boobs. And I think, odd, I can't believe I'm here. And I have to dig <laughs> little holes in the sand on the beach <laughs> to accommodate for them because they don't move. <laughs> 
can we talk about your lovely husband, Tim? So he's a hairdresser. That's how we began, isn't it? Now, he designed the Manta brush. And can I just say the Manta brush, this was for when your hair was growing up, is amazing. If any midlife women have thinning, soft, fragile hair, hands up here and do a lot of swimming as well. It's fantastic. I have bought one for all my friends. I absolutely love it. Now, what a lovely thing to do. But I mean, you had that support of the family around you. You've been through this. What advice would you give to people just entering this journey now? How can the family support the, the woman going through this? What are the three things perhaps that you would mm. advise? Mm. I think often we do very many random things to try and sort of combat the experiences we've had. And I think the best thing what my family did is we just go with it all. I mean, the months where I cooked courgette, spaghetti for Tim, and I think he went off to the fish and chip shop after. because it was <laughs> And I cooked separate meals for the kids. And I'm sure they all thought, what is she doing? And what is she talking about? And, you know, when I obsessively talked about, Um, hypnotherapy or or other things that I was clinging on to they were always supportive they always had an open ear and I think the best is to just go with them there is a reason to why we might do yeah weird and wonky and unusual things and and to support that because I always felt supported in what I did and that was brilliant Mm. the second thing is to often I get emails and People say, my friend's just been diagnosed. How do I best support? Mm. Is to not change who you are. You don't need to become a different friend or person. You can be the same friend or the same husband that you always were because you can't just suddenly become everything for this person. And I do know that supporting someone who's going through cancer or a difficult life situation is as difficult as being affected yourself because I've been on both ends. And I can't say that my own experience was much harder than seeing loved ones Mm. struggle and leave us. And you can't be at all to someone. So if you've been the friend who always goes out on a Friday night, ask if your friend still wants to go out on a Friday night and have fun. Another friend is going to pick up and cook meals for him or her. So be yourself and just ask the question. You've got beautiful hair. I'm a bit jealous of your hair. (laughs) It's gorgeous. And we think, well, you know, how much of a role does Tim play in the gorgeous hair, being married to a hairdresser? Well, so I really struggle with my hair still. And the reason you can't see it is because I use a hair fibre. It's a bit like an old man's powder for bold patches. And I buy off online and my hair never grew back fully after chemotherapy. And so for a long time, I didn't let go of my wig. And at one point, my wig was really looking old and scrubby and the bottom ends of the wig were standing out. And at one point, Tim just looked at me and said, I think that thing's got to go. (laughs) I bought a new one and that was like nine months after my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I couldn't let go of it but because my hair on the top of my head didn't grow back. And so I really struggle with my hair. Still, it's very fine on the top, and I fill it in with those hair fibres. Yes, and so that is uncomfortable. What are they called, Danny? Because I'm sure that would be quite useful for people to know. Do you know? They're basically hair fibres. The brand I buy is Topics. You get it on Amazon and all the other platforms, and they come in different colours. And it just, people always say, what would you take to a desert island? And I think I would take that. How sad. (laughs) (laughs) Before I put my makeup on, I'd sort out my hair. But using the Manta hairbrush hasn't just been about making sure I pull less hair out or there is less nagging. It's also 
really instilled a bit of well-being and yeah. it helps me look away from just looking at my hair at the top of my head which I don't think is great and thinking I can still enjoy brushing my hair again an ambivalent feeling isn't it I've got all these problems with my hair and at the same time I'm going to try and still enjoy the act of brushing it mm-hmm. that mindful moment in the morning your brilliant podcast which everyone has to listen to menopause after cancer and your fabulous uh, website healthy whole me it's got so much advice on it. it's got recipes it's got well-being tips it's got your yoga it's got everything now you you also do an intention setting workshop which i love the sound off and Trish and I have been talking about intention setting on the podcast today haven't we as it's a new season this is September everybody's starting and if you were to advise women on some intention setting now where do we start how do we go about that we start by looking back before we look forward and we don't look at our life as a whole because as a whole my life is so overwhelming And I like to break down my life into key boxes or areas or chunks. And that would be, I look at my life, say you look back at from January to September and you look back at how did your working life go for you? How did your home life go for you? How did your health go for you? And so you break it up into chunks that are big pieces, your relationships, for example, your big pieces. And once you look at it individually, you might think that actually you've done and had a really good year in some aspects, but other parts weren't so great. So that when we look forward and we planned a new year, we can say, but actually everything was okay at home. I don't need to change too much. It was okay. But I'd quite like to achieve X, Y, and Z in work. And so maybe this would be your key area to focus on. Because if we just look ahead and we think, well, how do I set my intentions? I wouldn't even know where to start. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. So the intention setting ceremony came after a mum at the school gate introduced me to a new teacher. And she said, oh, you've got to meet Danny about yoga classes. And she's a bit like a jack of all trades. And I was mortified, as you can imagine. I thought, gosh, (laughs) I ran superfood supper clubs. Then women came to cook with me. I did yoga. I dabbled in all these, like you said, about my website, all these things that I wanted to try and do on a quest to feel better. And when she said jack of all trades, it's like, oh, my gosh, that makes me no good at anything, really. Mm -hmm. But then I kind of thought, but I can't let go of one. I can't let go of the yoga because it's important. Mm -hmm. I can't let go of the food. It gets me out of bed every morning. I can't. And so I did an intention settings exercise because initially I thought I'm just going to focus on one thing going forward. And I needed to figure out what that was. I thought if I was going to just give advice on one thing, what would it be? But doing this intention setting exercise myself, I realized they're all integral parts. They're my pillars of support. And I'd be a fool to let go of any of them. Can we just talk about the yoga as well? Because it's such a, I mean, it sounds like such a middle-class thing to say, doesn't it? Start yoga in midlife when you've been through a traumatic experience. But I, without fail, every single guest we have ever had on has said yoga has changed their life. And it's not about being flexible and rolling around and doing forward rolls and all of that. Explain why, for the benefit of anyone here listening who says, I am not doing yoga, that's so ridiculous, it won't make any difference, why it's so important. Trish has been doing it for years, but it was a game changer for me. Um, So just explain why it works. I think if we break it down again... Yoga can be anything to you that you need it to be at this particular time in your life. And so if you feel it's the stress levels that aren't serving you in your life, a gentle 
low-key yoga class at your local studio. And if your practice is consistently and you turn up once a week, you can see the benefits. It works on our parasympathetic nervous system. We've got plenty of studies to back it up. If you feel my bone quality is a worry to me as I head into midlife and beyond, there are many more strenuous yoga exercises that you can find in yoga classes you can find that are brilliant for your bone health and your muscle strength and building that muscle. You're lifting your own body weight and they're brilliant. But when you throw it all together, yoga only works when you do it, right? It's a bit like your blood pressure yeah. medication will only work if you take the medication. Yoga will work and serve you if you step onto the mat and if you go and do it consistently. And there is a little bit of magic, isn't there, for both of you who practice yoga. And that magic is so individual and unique to all of us. And after a few weeks and months, the majority of people who really struggle in the beginning who find it so boring or so pointless. And when it makes click, mm -hmm. you suddenly think, gosh, I couldn't do without it now. Mm -hmm. But you've got to try it for yourself for it to yeah. work, don't you? Yeah. But you need to find a good teacher. And what's great about your website is that you stream your yoga classes, don't you? So if somebody wanted to try yoga, they could start with you, couldn't they? And do one of your classes online. Yeah, and I'm really happy if people want to get in touch. Many people say I'm worried about this or I've had an injury or I've recovered from cancer. Is this right? It's really important. And I might mm -hmm. not be this right yoga teacher. Someone might need uh, to find someone else. And it's really once you find, it's like finding your perfect cup of tea is that yoga. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a, if you're a PG tips or an Earl Grey kind mm -hmm. of tea yeah. drinker, it's the same with yoga. And so all yoga teachers are great. You just need to find the one that resonates with you. Yeah. And so people can find all of that information on your Healthy Whole Me website. And I really, really do recommend anybody who wants to just delve further into the sort of menopause cancer to listen to your podcast because you're talking to the leading experts in the world about it. And you've done so much research and they really are fantastic. And anything else we need to be aware of for this autumn season that you're doing? I think for myself, my own intention is to watch my own language and be even more inclusive so when I talk to my audience on my podcast I always know it's for anyone affected by cancer however they identify for any stage of cancer and so I've got loads of new experts coming on all sorts of different topics and to stay judgment free because I really know that my own experience with my family has shaped my decision making process in the now and there is no right or wrong. Whatever you decide to do, there is no right or wrong. And I don't want to support opinions as such, but I would love to support every single person a little bit more in their journey. And even if you decide to do the opposite to me, I'd love for you to feel supported in whatever you decide to do. Oh, that is wonderful, Danny. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on to Postcards from Midlife. Thank you so much for having me. Bum, bum. Here we are again at the point of the show where we go back in time. And this week for our nostalgia noodle, Trish, I was inspired by your teenage brain farts idea. Mm. You know, when they do really stupid things and it's like their brain has dropped out of their ears and they can't work out what they're supposed to do. There's been quite a good thread on the Facebook group. And Sally, one of the mums, put up a picture of a key ring she had bought one of her teens. And it says, don't do stupid shit on it, love mum. <laughs> <laughs> but listen... Back in the day, 
we have done the silly things. We have been teenagers. And I was just remembering when I was advising one of mine to be very, very careful on the way Mm. out to the big wide world um, about the daft stuff I used to do, um, stuff that nearly got me killed, I reckon, sometimes. (laughs) And I was remembering when I was 17, my brief pause at Harlow Journalism College, Mm. I went to a party quite a long way away Mm. up in the north somewhere with someone I'd just met there. Got to the party, wasn't very good, finished at 11 o'clock and I was hundreds of miles away. Oh, God. So I thought, what shall I do? Had a little bit of sleep on the sofa at the party. And then I got up before the sunlight and hitchhiked. Trish, <gasps> ridiculous. Just walked along a country road, put oh, out my Who thumb, was up apart from serial killers at that time of the morning? Very old couple, lovely oh, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. So fate intervened, got in the car and they took me to a nearby station. And all I can remember is that the only place the next train was going was Bristol. So I went from Harlow to the <laughs> Nowhere north, near Bristol. then Nowhere to near Bristol Harlow. for some reason. And then I got out of Bristol and thought, well, where can I go now at this ridiculous hour mm. of the morning? So I just went back home to Cornwall. <laughs> so travelled all around over a weekend. I mean, quite dangerous. A really crap party. For no reason, without oh, no. in any way thinking oh, any yeah. of it through, without yes. sort of engaging my brain or, you know, and I just think, you know, we do we do make fun of them. We do get quite cross about yes. our teenagers, but we have all been there. Where, what have you done? Because well, I know there's a tale to tell here. Well, I should be handed the don't do stupid stuff key ring for this particular incident, which was... Um, on a night, I went into London. I used to live kind of in the suburbs of, of North London at the end up of the food line, up northwest, up northwest, and went to see a punk band, of course, because I was so cool, called uh, Exmal Deutschland at Heaven <laughs> nightclub. Um, I was with like a group of friends, boys and girls, and we missed the last tube home. There were no night buses Obviously. that went where we lived in those days. Never been in a taxi, wouldn't have dreamed, obviously wouldn't have had the money and would never no. have dreamed of even getting one anyway because I've never been in one. Um, I couldn't afford one. And um, so we ended up walking around London all night. And it was a bit like Before Sunrise with Ethan Hawke, Julie Delpy in Paris, but without the romance. And then was it like that, Trish? Really, though? Was it not just cold and a bit dangerous? It it was actually, well, I remember a sunrise on a bridge, which was quite lovely, but had very painful feet because I'd bought some heels at, for the first time, from Kensington Market and decided to bloody wear them on this night. Hyper, hyper at Kensington Market, yeah. (laughs) So it was a very, that was the start of the painful feet journey that has gone (laughs) for 30 odd years. Anyway, um, obviously snuck home. I'd said I'm staying at my friend's. She said she was staying at mine. I mean, we just, you know, we got away with it. But still Do you think alive. they knew your parents really? No, they didn't know. No, no. they really didn't okay. know. I think um, I think not. No. Well, at least we didn't get a tattoo. Yes. Well, that, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's for another day. Yes. Well, that brings us to the end of Postcards from Midlife, Series 7, Episode 1. If anybody is counting, um, new episodes will be available to listen to every Sunday on your podcast provider. And we would really appreciate it if you can make sure to download your episodes so they count on our listener numbers. And we love a little rate and review too. That would be really, really kind of you. Thank you. And please tell your friends about us. We want as many women as possible to join in the midlife conversation, which is what our private Facebook group is all about. So if you aren't a member there, hop over, join the chat. You've got three questions you have to answer and Trish will let you in yes it's very, it's very straightforward it's just we just like to find out a little bit about you and, you, and agreeing to the group rules also um, make sure you're not a middle-aged man because that yes. doesn't work <laughs> 
<laughs> you won't be allowed in. No. But you can use it to post any feedback on the topics we discuss, as well as suggestions for other things you'd like to hear talked about or celebrities and experts you'd love to hear interviewed. And you can, of course, email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com and even pop a little message on the Instagram. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> 